0: Welcome everyone. I wanted to start recording because our conversation was already getting really good and I didn't want to miss anything else that this brilliant lady has to say. This is The Activation Project. I'm Olivia Eden. And I'm Christina Sarmiento. And we are here with Flora Edwards today. We're super excited to have her on. She is the author of Apocalypse Child. I just cannot wait to dive in and hear her story. How are you doing today, Flora?
1: I'm doing well. How
0: are you? We're really, really good. Super happy to have you. Thank you. We usually like to start all of our podcasts asking about the transitional dilemma. I know we've usually all faced many of them in our lives, but the main one that served as sort of the catalyst for you to change the trajectory of your life.
1: That's an interesting question. I mean, when I look back, I feel like, you know, as you get older, you start to look back and just feels like more and more things have happened. Whereas before, when I would talk about my story, it felt a little bit more clear. I would say there were many, many different transitional moments. Yeah, I don't even know where to start, to be honest. Um, What about the one that led you to write the book? What led me to write the book really was, you know, growing up in this particular environment and just having a lot of questions. But the moment I really decided that I was going to write was in college when I wrote, you know, and I wrote a paper. It was an academic paper, but it was just that sort of creative, Impulse I had and having this sort of relationship with words, and I was just fascinated with it. And I had to tell the story. So I would say it started, I believe I was 17 years old, I was in college. That was sort of the moment for me that made me want to write this book, but it took a lot of time after deciding to do it and actually sitting down to do it. You know, it was definitely a long process, but there were a lot of things leading up to it as well. So it wasn't like, Things were not easy. I mean, I don't know how, how your experience was, but for me, I come from a family of 12. Yeah, there's 12 of us. And, you know, we had sort of a, I call it an abandonment, you know, after the leader passed and it was really rough for us. Um, I had a really rough teenage, you know, years and sort of went into a really dark place. I've actually done quite a few interviews with people wanting to talk more about that aspect, like the healing aspect of it all. I actually found yoga in college, and that sort of was like a light for me. College was a moment that really made me start to make sense of things, for sure.
0: Which is interesting because it was heavily discouraged in the group. Yeah. Like, if you were leaving the family, you're a sister white, and if you were going to college, God forbid, you know, just
1: pure brainwash. Yeah, I think, if anything, that made me more curious. About it, but it wasn't so much a rebellious thing. I think I really just enjoyed learning. I really, really enjoyed, you know, learning all the stuff we didn't learn growing up. But yeah, it also sort of, you know, ignited a creative fire in me that dealt with writing. And yeah, as I'm saying this, I'm like feeling bad that I'm actually not don't have any creative projects. But that's okay. I'm learning to be patient with myself. And with all this going on right now, I'm very busy, and it's kind of took a lot. It was a lot to write and publish a book. So. I'm not rushing into something else quite yet.
0: <laughs> wow. Did you receive any lashback from family, from friends, from anybody that you knew? Was it hard for you to actually
1: put it out there? Actually, no. I'm not sure if you read the book. I had my mom read it. My mom actually really liked it. There were a lot of decisions that had to be made when I wrote it and The biggest thing was sort of how I was going to approach the story that we all know has been told and retold many times by the media, you know, and by some people. I'm the first American second generation to have done it. So, wow. Yeah. And I had to decide kind of how I was going to see it. And I had to come from an act of forgiveness and non-judgment over, you know, what we had been through. So I think in that sense, you know, you can't, if you're going to, you know, tell a story you have to take full responsibility i think that's what storytelling is is taking owning and taking full responsibility for what happened i knew that what happened to me was not my fault but how i moved forward from it was going to be my decision you know and it really did change my life in a lot of ways and it gave me you know some confidence it gave me clarity it gave me understanding i would think again i get feedback from various readers from strangers from people i know but it would be hard to look at a story like that and get upset. you know, I think I have one cousin who's who's rather bitter, that's not even worth mentioning, but the short answer is no, I have not received any lashback. If anything, I've gotten a lot of support. A lot of second generation kids read it, a lot of the adults read it. I've gotten a fair bit of reaction about it, but it's been all positive. That's, wonderful. Um, that's been really good, yeah. I definitely think with the second generation that they're more inclined towards
0: acceptance and like moving on and stuff like that. I think it's the first generation that really struggle with any sort of negativity or negative light being shown on there.
1: They're very sort of stuck in what they believed, I think. I don't know how it was like for you, but for me, I just started with just accepting what happened. That was kind of my first step was like, this happened, you know, and again, it wasn't my fault. And I don't know what your relationship is with your parents is like, but. It was hard because I don't hate them. You know, I never did. I don't always understand them. But, you know, they made decisions that, that led to all of us. In the end, I think as a writer and a storyteller, I found it to be great material. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what I
2: after you wrote it, did you have a vulnerability hangover? How were you feeling after like, you came out and you're knowing that Thousands or even millions of people, if they pick up a book, that they could actually know you in a way that was very
1: personal and private. The process took so long. It took me 12 years to write it. 12 years? Yeah. So by the time it came out, I think it was almost like I was a different person. I almost didn't care anymore. Taking on the task of writing a book, you sort of imagine all of that. I wish I had millions of reads. I probably have, you know, thousands, but not millions. I'm putting it out in your future. Thank you. <laughs> But I mean, the actual task of publishing, that was a whole different story. That was very taxing for me. That was sort of a world that felt very unfamiliar. And it was just, it was me, felt very lonely. It was just me by myself. I think I wrote to connect with people. But then, you know, I got a lot of interviews, a lot of sort of media publicity, for better or worse. I can't complain. Just I basically had like free PR for like two years. I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't okay with people, you know, reading and seeing that part of my life.
0: So for our listeners, can we just kind of get a little narrative going? So can you talk about where you were born and raised and what one of your earliest childhood memories was?
1: I write about my earliest childhood memory. When I wrote it, it it took so much time. Because, I mean, if you ask anyone what's your earliest memory, I think you get sort of bombarded with a barrage of memories. And I was always really fascinated with memory because that's what it is. It's a memoir. It's me writing out my memories. And, you know, you can't argue... I mean, you can if you want, but you can't argue with what someone remembers. I'm like, hey, what did you remember, you know, about yesterday? And you might say one thing. And, and, you know, that's where, you know, some healthy debate can come in. But, you know, these were my memories. This is what I remembered. But I was born in Sweden. I don't remember that. <laughs> and then we moved to Mexico and then we moved to California. And when I was four, my whole family, there's like six or seven of us, we moved out to the States. 'Cause I'm not sure how much the listeners know, but the leader of this cult decided that the West was evil and you know the world was gonna end. So we all were on a mission basically to save the world. So I spent most of my childhood in Thailand, all over, you know, traveling, moving. My family just grew and grew and grew. It was like my mom was constantly pregnant. Were they all from your dad? Yes, luckily, we all are, except for the oldest. The oldest brother is not, but the rest of us are. You know, from, My parents stuck together. They're still together, actually. Was the oldest a Jesus baby? I don't talk too much about that, but yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think I was going to put it in the book, but I was like, it's not necessary, you know? Yeah. That's how he came about. And were you guys ever split up, or were you always together? My parents would leave a lot, but the kids, you know, we were split into groups, you know? We functioned, you know, in these big, giant compounds. We were very... Uh, organized kind of run like a little army but you know so we were put into these groups i was quite lonely a lot i was quite terrified a lot i would think about the end time and the antichrist and you know this apocalypse and it was kind of a sad and dark childhood (laughs) but i have a twin sister and we we were together a lot and i think that really helps
0: What age did you start kind of questioning things? Were you always hook, line, and
1: sinker even after you left? I can't say I ever fully believed anything. You know, we had to just go along with it. But when I was young, you know what was the red flag or the warning sign was my siblings. I would see my siblings and I would just kind of, I had this very like strong kind of maternal instinct that like, this is not right. And those were my first moments of wondering. And then of course, you know, the world outside, I, I don't know what it was like for you, but I was always like curious, you know what they were telling us, it just made me actually more, more interested in <laughs> it. Like the more evil they made it sound, the more kind of curious I was. And I can't even say I ever was fully, you know, hooked on their propaganda. I was kind of like a shy, maybe a little bit stubborn, really scared little girl. I hated going when <laughs> What sign
0: are you? I'm a Sagittarius. Sagittarius. I was going to ask, you, but what kind of things specifically made you start questioning? Like... Oh, see
1: my siblings. my sibling's getting disciplined so, so spanked, but you wouldn't get spanked that much. I did a few times. I write about one. Yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't like really bad. The discipline really kind of alarmed me, you know, because I don't know. I'm sure it was similar for all the different places, but it was like they would publicly humiliate kids. And I remember that just being it was very like psychologically traumatizing to see, you know, a kid getting basically just, kind of tortured you know those are moments where it's just like something's not right as girls you know I have a lot of sisters we would kind of talk about it we'd be like you know what's going my older sister was very stubborn very rebellious from early on and she sort of put out the warning signs of like this isn't right my twin sister and I we were more just like kind of just having fun trying to make the best of it in a way
0: and so did you guys leave
1: Thailand when you were 12 is that when you all left the family when we were 12 it was when Father David told everyone to go back. Where did you grow up, by the way?
0: I was born in Ecuador, and I, then we moved to the States. Then I grew up, like, my teenage years in
1: Guatemala, and then Mexico, El Salvador. Yeah. Wow, I feel like that part. I feel like I was very connected with Asia or Japan, but I, I rarely meet or hear from someone who grew up in this, where I guess, like... Was it Argentina? They had like a big mission out in Argentina. They
0: did. And that's where the persecution happened and the raids and stuff yeah. like that. So some of my best friends that I grew up with, the Edson's, they, um, they were, were
1: there. Yeah. Yeah. No, when we were 12, remember when he was like, everyone go back to the West? Yeah, exactly. I was 12. We were going to move to Sweden or Chicago. I don't know why those two options. To this day, I, I have no idea why it was. It just, you know, the leadership was moving us around and we moved to Chicago. We lived in a few homes actually, but that's when he died. It was 93 or 94, right? And after that, it was just, I remember waking up and everything had changed. And then my family was just on their own. We were on our own. It was basically just my massive 11 kids, two adults, all under the age of 14. And so, yeah, we just slowly made our way out to California and started going to school and, you know, just kind of slowly moved away from it. It took time. It was like a two-year process. It wasn't just like one day we were out. It was a few years.
0: Why did your parents decide that that's what they didn't want
1: anymore? Because we did. I respect them for putting us first because you know how some parents were like, okay, you can leave. You can go out and basically abandon their kids. My parents, you know, they said, it was us, there's like 12. So I'm in part of the older group, but, but yeah, they kind of asked us what we wanted. And we said we wanted to get out and we wanted to go to school. And so they left for us. And um, that was always a redeeming moment for them, I think. I don't know if there was an option. If them sending us out would have been absolute disaster. I know some families had like relatives and they could go, we didn't. I mean, a lot of my uncles and aunts joined. So I didn't have parents I knew really like, I didn't really have a support system outside of, you know, our family. I think my parents knew that. So my dad actually went to school all of us in school and yeah he's now actually a tenured professor. So. so yeah he pulled it together with twelve kids, you know. Wow. <laughs> it was like it was a lot. It was nutty. But we became clowns of course, you know. We did the whole clown thing. I was a clown for like seven years or something.
2: <laughs> really? Like oh,
0: like clowning at parties?
1: Yeah, you know about the clowning, right? Oh
0: yeah, yeah. I have friends who still do that. I'm just thinking they that. made like six hundred and fifty dollars a day, you know, yeah. They just do the face painting and balloons, but it's a super lucrative business. It is, yeah. Tell me about what,
2: what a friend of this I need to know.
0: <laughs> so basically, yeah, you just get booked at parties. The girls dress up like princess costumes and they are balloon artists and face painters, but like really, really good, very talented. I did that too, man. Um, living in the States. You know, you made me remember something about when he told everybody to move back out west it's mm-hmm. probably because he wasn't getting enough money via oh, of course. oh of course
1: and also I think we kind of we were exhausting our parameters I remember we would go to places in Thailand and we would hit up every house
0: just for the audience to think about how ironic this is because we're Americans going to third world countries <laughs> And fucking milking them for all they're worth.
1: In the boonies of Thailand, you know, and people would look at us like, "What is going on?" It was so
0: weird. Unraising at the shacks, and the shanties.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, we were like white people going to ask like third world, like begging for money. <laughs> but it was because we had this like mission, you know. It was all about that message of you right. know time and everything. Oh, and people would give to us left and right but but yeah
0: and it was funny because we were always trying to sneakily get our visas renewed that was a big thing and while the rest of the world's trying to migrate to the states we're like no we're trying to stay in their country
1: About <laughs> that, we were so sneaky about things we were going on visa trips and we were like we had to like hide everything and like not let anyone know who we were or where we were going it was just like yeah very sneaky Very singular, yeah, like, that seeing I, deceivers, yet
0: true. There was that letter about that, like, it was okay to deceive people if it was for the mission.
1: Yeah, There there was an interesting agenda going on there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So how was it for you to transition out, like, into school, and, like, were you guys kind
1: of, like, did you stick out like a sore thumb, or? I had a rough time. I knew right away I couldn't really tell people where I was from people asking where I was from and I was like oh my gosh I can't even tell. I don't know (laughs) like I'm Swedish but I'm also American and I grew up over here I don't have a childhood home like it's just there was nothing in common with anyone you know so I kind of made up stories a little bit you know I would say my dad was in the military or something like that high school was really rough I didn't graduate fell into some drugs and drinking and just trying to avoid and numb and had a really difficult social time with people (laughs) Um, but then it was, again, in college, it was like finding the right crowd, finding the right people. Um, for me, that was really the transition for me that kind of helped me start to make sense of things. And it started with people. I remember I was never ashamed telling my story, except for a few times when I was in high school, but I felt good talking about it, you know, kind of, was I guess, kind of like therapy. And once I found an audience, it was like, okay, you know, these people... Accept me, regardless of you know how I grew up, and it sort of helped me to accept myself. I was always just a firm believer in yeah the power of storytelling. So when I started to write, I really experienced it firsthand.
0: Yeah, awesome. That's what we were gonna name this podcast as a storyteller, but I was taken. It's a little generic. I like the activation. I think I've heard of it, but I don't know.
2: The magazine you guys used to sell was the. Yeah, we used to
0: sell uh, in the family. They created one called Activated. Oh, like- maybe.
1: That's- <laughs> Motivational magazine. I feel like it sounds very familiar, but I don't know. We probably have mutual friends on Facebook or something. Maybe. So, your podcast is The Activation Project.
0: Yeah. So, that's a nonprofit that we uh, run, which helps to, uh, people to heal their brain from brain damage caused by trauma. So, there's like 10 markers. You have the mental illness in the house, drugs and alcohol in the house, and this is under the ages of 18. Suicide. Losing a parent to death, divorce, witnessing violence in the house, feeling like you weren't protected. When did you lose your virginity?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How old were you? Nineteen. Oh, okay. I had no experience in the cold Thank you. Yeah. Like I was uncomfortable at times, but I didn't have like any interaction in that way. Luckily.
0: Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. there a few more? For them?
2: Uh, yeah, so I'm going to prison, sexual abuse, seeing your parent hit, and feeling like you're not loved, mm-hmm. and supported, and no, like, you don't have your basic needs. Yeah, like, yet.
0: not enough money for, like, food and clothes and stuff like that. Feeling like there's not enough. So, there's all ranges of scores from people that left the group. And then people who weren't even in the group, like Christina, they scored 10. Mm-hmm. Out of 10, so major cognitive and behavioral dysfunction starts at a four or above so if you were spanked pretty heavily that's like a huge marker for trauma and witnessing it because then you have that matched feeling of not being protected like realizing that you know you can't protect your brothers and sisters and no one's coming in because the adults are the ones that are imposing that upon kids you know do you have any kids no So we were asking you before we started recording about your spiritual life and if you have one or like how you even feel about religion or spirituality
1: or stuff like that. Yeah, I get that question a lot. It's tricky to answer. I feel like sometimes I answer it really well and sometimes I'm just kind of, I leave it open-ended. But I do remember leaving the group and, and knowing that I was not an atheist. I was not like a person who didn't believe in something I mean, because I guess atheists just believe this physical world is all there is. And I just knew that that wasn't it for me. I made a friend actually who was, and I was just like, yeah, that's not, you know, I I studied other things and I kind of just began to get in touch with my own spirituality, but I don't really like subscribe to any one particular religion at the moment. (laughs) It's very curious for me, you know, not as curious maybe as some people. I mean, we grew up in a very spiritually heavy environment and in some ways I'm like, that was nice. We got our fill, <laughs> you know, more You in what's going on in the world that we were, you know, cut off from, I guess.
2: So when you were in college and you were writing and stuff like that, and you said that you got into later into like drinking, what specifically were you trying to numb away? Was there a specific problem that you were running away from when you were experiencing those things?
1: I think it was just the confusion and really feeling different, like just not fitting in, you know, and if that happened now, I think I'd be okay with it. But as a teenager, it's like, I think the biggest fear is not fitting in and just like, yeah, having like a major identity crisis and, and also feeling kind of betrayed. I found out, you know, that it was a cult, you know, through an issue, a magazine. It was a story with a quiz and it said, did you in a cult, Take this quiz and find out now. And I took the quiz and I was like, oh my gosh, I grew up in a cult yeah oh, uh, my God. I knew, but it became very confusing and i think the fact that my parents had so many kids just made it just the multitude of problems was compounded and magnified and there was a lot of anger you know and yeah i think i was just trying to run away from everything you know?
2: and how old were you when you took this quiz
1: i think i was 15. Mm-hmm. yeah around that time so right around that high school
2: So what was the language that they used around, like, you being a part of this family and stuff like that? Was there, what was that like for you? Because being in it would be different than someone seeing it from the outside.
1: Oh, yeah. They used all kinds of language and lingo and, you know, different ways to control us. Um, They used a lot of love, and that I think was the most confusing part. Because if you, I always think of, it like, an abusive situation where... If you're abused, it's almost like there's this, this thing inside of you that knows it's wrong. But if someone, like, says they love you and then they abuse you, that's when it gets really confusing. And with us, I mean, this wasn't even, like, a romantic relationship. This was, like, a bunch of adults telling the kids that they loved us and it was God's love. I mean, it was just the tactics they used to control us were very, very damaging and confusing for us. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot. I could talk probably a lot about the lingo, but that answer the question? but is there like
2: one specific one that was like a big one that you could tell us about? One thing that you noticed that happened there that wouldn't have happened if you weren't in there or in that kind of environment?
1: That's a hard question. Cause like when you're growing up, that's all, you know, so it's like, you know, some things might seem really strange to everyone, but for us, it was just normal, you know?
0: What's an example maybe for how you were ready so up? So growing up, my mom
2: used to come into the room and while I was like kind of like falling asleep and she would sit by my bedside and say, I love you. No one else is going to love you. Like I do. You're never going to leave me. You're always going to be with me. And she would say these things and ask questions as I was, you know, going into sleep and like, are you never going to leave me? Are you, you love me more than anything. And and I'm just like, yes, mom, I love you. I'm not going to leave you, you know, as I'm falling asleep. And this is just something that would happen. And I didn't know that until later that, you know, that's, not right to do to a child as they're drifting off to sleep, especially telling them that they're never going to leave you and that you know you're the only one that loves them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then when I told someone that story, they're like, "Are you okay?"
0: And I was like, "Wait, your parents didn't do this to you."
1: Um, I mean, but the the thing is, we grew up. It was so bizarre that you kind of at some point understand how you know strange this was. But yeah, I mean, they would discipline us and tell us, you know, that they loved us. <laughs> It's so interesting that you're
0: saying that because it's something that I've been talking a lot about lately, about how society has made it seem that love is this very subjective thing and it's subjective to everybody and it looks different to everyone. And what it does essentially is it
1: permits
0: the abusive husband to be beating his wife. I just love you so much. You just make me so angry because I love you so much. Or A parent spanking the child and saying, I'm doing this because I love you. So if we have this super loose framework for what love is, which should be a very objective force in the world, Mm -hmm. and we should have, I believe, a framework by which we hold everything else up to that light so that you can't have situations where there's adults abusing children and calling it love and the love of God and this woman who was raising her was not her biological mother, manipulating her into feeling like she could never leave her. And that's why people stay in these dysfunctional relationships, because they think it's love. And we don't have any reference or framework for what real love is. So you think that you're in love with someone and love someone, and then you become a slave to this notion that we have to have unconditional love for our abusive and toxic family it guilts us into staying in these horrible relationships because we feel like we have to love and forgive unconditionally and all of this stuff when really like I believe that love is our involuntary response to virtue and virtue is usually missing in most of these relationships you know virtue and honesty and
2: stuff like that Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of endurism in love I love you even though I love you even though there's something wrong with you and I'm going to be the person to call you
0: out and help you fix yourself. Dude, my <laughs> ex used to tell me that. Yeah, but I love you in spite of all those things. And I'm like, in spite of all those things? Cute. Oh my God, it's true. I get mean, to use it as like a way to like be like, like, yeah, it's almost like the, this loftiness comes from it. You know, I love you even though in spite, like... So you're doing me a favor by loving me then, you know, so this is the world that we live in where it's just like love is anything and everything. And so then it's nothing, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, It sort of puts this blanket over everything, but it kind of validates, you know, actions, which it shouldn't. How have relationships been for you?
0: I know that's something I struggled with a lot.
1: Yeah. They've been sort of interesting. I've actually avoided them more than anything. I kind of just, I've had a few relationships, but nothing like even that like groundbreaking. I've never been married. I I did have one abusive relationship that I literally escaped. <laughs> I've had a few loving relationships, but yeah, I think I, maybe I'm just, I'm avoiding my sister. My twin sister, she dove into, like, I think that was her, like, her way of figuring things out was to, was through people, whereas for me, I kind of secluded myself a little more and had to do a little more, like, deeper, like, self-inquiry but yeah I think they've been hard they are hard and yeah my solution was to kind of just avoid them but I'm kind of coming to age where I don't want to anymore like I'm like okay I've been single for like I want to say like 75% of my adult life (laughs) just single yeah I'm like open to love and finding it but I'm like also not not the kind of person who always feels like they need it you know I don't know it's a loaded question I guess (laughs) but yeah I I would definitely say it's affected All of us, you know, who grew up that way.
2: After coming out and experiencing the things that you did, what kind of stuff did you do for your mental health?
1: Yoga and meditation. That was my thing. And community, finding people, you know. I think those are my ways of, and I still do yoga. I still meditate. Right now with quarantine and everything, it's kind of hard to have that, you know, community and everything. But creativity as well. Yeah, I found those to be the most powerful tools for me. You know, I've been doing that since I was like 19. I still did the same yoga star when I was 19, and it's been great. In fact, I need to go soon. But I work full-time right now, so it's hard. What are you doing now for As one person put it, I'm a civil servant. I actually do have a government job, <laughs> which I don't mind. You know, I was in education for a long time. I was wanting to become a professor. I had two masters. I just graduated with my second, and I really wanted to be a professor. And then all this happened, this COVID, and my dad's a professor. I don't want to teach online, so I was looking for something else. and yeah, I got a job. It's not the worst. I was curious what it would be like. It's interesting, but.
0: Oh yeah. Do you play guitar? Are you a musician? I'm trying to learn. I actually just bought it.
1: I wouldn't call myself a musician. My brothers are all very, very good. I would be trying singing sing us a song here. <laughs> I'm just playing chords right now. I don't actually know how to even play anything that sounds like it's a melody.
0: <laughs> How did all of your other brothers and sisters fare after everything
1: I always say I get asked that a lot, and I always say it's that's their story to tell. You yeah, know, I have some that did well, and some that honestly did not at all. Some that I don't see at all. But I have a huge family; it's a unique situation. So it would not be fair to them, or even to me, to sit down and tell all their stories. i, I right. on that. I can't do that. So I just kind of I leave them out of it. You know. I mentioned some of it in the book, but not a whole lot. I mean, I know we all know people who have committed suicide and, you know, I've heard stories and it's sad.
0: What other challenges would you say that you still face? Besides maybe it sounds like you might have a little trouble, like fully opening up to someone else in a relationship and being, you know
1: letting um I think cars just, down. Sometimes professionally it just feels against a lot like almost like that high school awkward but in a professional world where it's just like I just don't fit in like I was in even in academia and I I, know, I thought it was pretty smart and I I got like the academic part but just like the sort of like the political part I didn't get and I still don't get <laughs> and I don't like I don't speak the speak that they want you know I try to just do you know live my truth and that's not accepted in this world. That's probably, but it's not like the worst thing, the worst struggle to have.
2: When you did publish your book, were you at this government job or were you at a
1: different one? Oh, no, no, no. I published it two and a half years ago now. I was working in education, actually. I've been working in education for the past, like, between five to 10 years. but, But I wanted to teach. I didn't have the qualifications, so I had to get this degree. And now I have the degree, but all the schools are closed. So I was like, okay, let's do something different. I was kind of interested in trying something different anyway so I was like okay this works for now I guess I'm open
2: and when you did that two years ago what was your work situation were they supportive and you telling your story or
1: yeah most of them were most people have been I have yet to meet someone who's like not interested in it but yeah I know they all understood it but they were aware of it yeah
0: wow good for you for speaking your truth it's amazing because honestly the majority of the people i know do not like to talk about it they won't bring it up they completely hide from their past and i was like you i was always like i'm really open i mean it's my story but then there was like a certain part of the stuff i would tell and then
1: there was a lot of stuff that i wouldn't i have many different versions depending on the person it's kind of like how much am i going to demolish but now i just i have the book i'm like a lot of people, a lot of my friends read it and they said they learned things about me. Like, they're, wow, Floor, I, you know, because it's one thing they know it, but it's like to read it and to see the actual the details and everything. I'm trying to get, I guess, my boyfriend to read it. He's read a few chapters, but I'm like, if you date me, you have got to read book. you have to know, you know. So I think it keeps me from talking too much and that's what I wanted. I was like, kind of getting tired of telling the story. So I was like, at least I can write it. and Like, okay, go look up, go look up the book. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That is
0: how I feel about this podcast, too. I'm like, my story is there. You can listen. All the details are there as well. <laughs>
2: my fiance, when I met him, he's the same way. He was like, so tell me your story. He's like, Google me. And I was like, no, I don't want to Google you. <laughs> my fiance, when we were on our first date, I asked her before we met. I was like, what's your story? And he's like, Google me. And I
1: was like, I don't want to Google you. I can not tell me this. Yeah, I'm, I'm cautious. I don't want, don't necessarily want people. Just kind of like, you know, you get to know me, don't get to know. But yeah, I have a, a, quite a presence on, online, but I don't know. It's neither here nor there.
0: <laughs> so I have a question. If you could just wave a magic wand and be doing anything you wanted on earth, as far as like a profession goes, like with no restrictions, as far as like if it was teaching, you could literally create the job of your dreams, what would it
1: be? I'd probably want to be more independent, you know, maybe make a living on writing so I don't have to, you know, do other stuff. But probably do something that's a little bit more where I'm my own boss. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. You seem like an entrepreneur as far as like being very independently minded. I'm okay with this right now. You know, I've lived long enough to know what works and what doesn't and I'm not ready to step out and be like, let's start a business right now. And it's, you know, COVID-19, all this stuff. Like,
2: I started two businesses during COVID-19 and I made more money in the last eight months than I have ever in my whole entire life.
1: I'm doing better financially than I ever have too. I'm about to buy a car and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, everyone has
0: different experiences. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: I started the activation project. So I think what it did is it forced people to get creative. Like yeah. we had no choice
1: that's how I when it all happened I was like okay I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like everything's the same you know even though in some ways there's a big part of this that sucks I was like you know I'm going to figure out how to make this work and we'll see we'll see how it all turns out
0: <laughs> exactly oh my god yeah it like snapped people out of autopilot I'm sure that you have to probably go here and we really thank you so much for taking the time mm-hmm. to with that do you have any like any words of advice for our audience as far as you know transitioning out of a difficult time like to people who don't fit in or don't feel like they fit in and because i i know that that was a lot of us for sure and i know that there's a lot of people out there who feel that way to what really just helped you go is it tapping into your creative
1: and writing or I'm patient i always tell people patience is so important being patient with yourself, and also getting to know yourself, you know. We get caught up in a lot of distractions, and we were forced to be very introspective. I just kind of, like, I knew there was some value in that, so I went with it, and it helped make me, not that I'm, like, great, but it helped make me, you know, I think a wiser person for it, and it was something I learned. It was okay to use what I had in childhood to make me a better person. I couldn't deny myself. I couldn't deny what I had been through. And I see the people who did end up in the dark place because basically living in complete self denial. Yeah, it's like I just chose not to, or something inside of me was just like I can't do that. I can't live that life or be that person. So yeah, be patient with yourself, know yourself and accept yourself. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, exactly. That is the answer. It totally is. Just be honest about who you are and your past. Yeah. Because then that's the only way you can accept yourself and then love yourself in that order (laughs) thank you so much this is awesome guys um her instagram handle is flora edwards author Edwards author yeah and her book is the apocalypse child i highly highly recommend it she is an amazing writer thank you all right guys we love you.
1: you